Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. little sacred story reading, a little sacred scripture for this morning. We are focused on 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 7 through 16. We're in a series that we're calling Church Is dot, 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 where we're looking at this 30,000-foot view of the church. We're not getting into the nitty-gritty about what color should the pews be or, you know, you know all the little things that go on, but we're, we're talking about the big philosophical idea of what should the church be, and we're looking at four stories throughout scripture, and this one comes from 2 Kings 5, 7 through 16. And right before this happens, the king of Aram has a military leader named Naaman. And Naaman is sick. And he goes to his king and he says, I'm sick. I'm not getting better. I need to be healed. And then someone comes up to the king and says, I heard about this prophet over in Israel. We should send Naaman over there to get healed. Even though we've maybe kind of been enemies with them on and off again for a while, but let's just try it and see if this prophet can do any healing. And so they send a letter to the king of Israel asking if there is someone that can cure the commander of the Aram army, Naaman. And this is what happens next. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him um, to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. 
Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. 2 Kings 5, 7 through 16. Last night, my wife and I went out with another couple to go see a movie and grab some dinner. I had no knowledge of what movie we're seeing. And as many of you know, I like movies a lot. I have, an, I have a note on my phone that has the 21 movies that, a, that this podcast I listen to recommends that you might want to see in order to prepare well for the 2024 Oscars that are coming up. So I am a big time, I like, I like good movies. I did not know what movie we were seeing. My wife told me the name of this movie. I had not even heard of this movie, which was like a red flag, right? Like the alarm bell should have gone off. But it starred Meg Ryan kind of coming back to Hollywood and doing this movie, and it had David Duchovny, and it was this romantic comedy. And so I was like, okay, it's, you know, I, you know she started telling me a little bit about it. I was like, okay, a romantic comedy with Meg Ryan. I mean, I liked all of her romantic comedies back when, you know, I was in high school, and forgive me for being that young, I'm sorry. Um, and, and so I was like, let's give this a shot. It was terrible. It was one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my entire life. And here's why I don't mind telling you that. If you're hoping to see it, and it's called What Happens Later, I am just lowering expectations for you, okay? So now you can all be pleasantly surprised. It was one of the worst movies I have ever seen. I, I literally thought, I think a nap might be better. And I almost fell asleep in the theater. And then I thought, maybe I should start thinking through my message on Sunday, just because I have time on my hands. Um, it, was that, it was that bad. Um, so then I got out, we got done, and we were heading to dinner, and we were all kind of like, we were all kind of making fun of the movie. We were all just like, that was terrible. And of course, my wife was the one who picked it out, and so I just started giving her, I was like, I was like, the next time you recommend a movie, I'm going out with the guys. The next time you recommend a movie, I'm staying home and babysitting my own kids. Like, I'll pay myself, you know, like, I was just, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And I was like, no, I'm kidding. You know, I'm just having fun with her. And so then I started reading reviews of the movie, and they're like glowing reviews. And I'm like, who are these people? Like, I will never trust this person reviewing movies ever again. If I see this person's name reviewing a movie and they give it a thumbs up, I'm going to be like, absolutely not. And the reason why I tell you all that is because when I hear the theme for the day of, of church is the theme of healing, I already know the review and I don't trust it. When I hear about a sermon on healing, I get this like warning, that little alarm bell that goes off, like, you know, your favorite podcast hasn't recommended this, so you might want to watch out. Like, I get kind of like anxious when I hear there's going to be a sermon on healing, because when I look around at the world, I don't see a lot of evidence that there's healing going on in the way that it's sometimes portrayed in Scripture that we have these dynamic stories of just go bathe in the water seven times and you'll be cured. And then sure enough, the person's cured. Or somebody comes up to Jesus and is, is, is lame or is blind or, or something, and Jesus just takes some mud and spits in it, makes a little mud and sticks it on the person's face, and then suddenly they wipe it off and they can see again. I just don't see that happening very often. And I know there's people praying for it. 
I know there's people that are desperate for a miracle. They're desperate for something amazing to happen. They're desperate for healing in their body or in the, a loved one's body. They're, they're, they're desperate for something to change. And so when I go to church and I look at the bulletin and I see church is a story of healing, I go, uh-oh, I may have come on the wrong day because I don't trust this story. I don't trust it. I'm skeptical. When I read through the New Testament, I see Jesus doing healing after healing after healing. I mean, there is one line in the New Testament I was reading this morning, and it said, and he healed everyone that came to him. And I was like, okay, let's show a hands. How many people have been cured by the Lord recently, right? And none of our hands go up. And that just doesn't add up for me. How does Jesus go into a whole town and heal everybody? And then in our time now, there doesn't seem to be any tangible, immediate answer to a prayer of healing. This idea of healing is complex and it's hard. Sometimes it's, like I said, it's easy just to be like, okay, I'm checking out. I'm going to start doing the mental checklist of what I got to get done the rest of the day, what groceries I got to get at Target on the way home, or where we're going to go, or who I need to call and check in on this week. And, some, it's a, and I get that. I get that we just want to check out sometimes when, when, we're, when we're talking about something like this. But I want to offer up three ideas based on this story and based on a deeper, kind of deeper way of looking at a story of healing that goes throughout Scripture. Not that I'm going to make it all better, because I don't know if one sermon makes the complexity of this issue better, but just because I think we might need a different way of approaching this. So one thing that we can see in this story is that God's indiscriminate goodness is on display. We are deeply entrenched in the story of ancient Israel during the time of the kings, during the time where there's a, the 10 northern tribes have become Israel and the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin. There's two different kings and there's prophets trying to help them all along the way. And Elijah the prophet has died and Elisha the prophet is now on the scene. Um, Ahab and Jezebel, were the, Je- Ahab was the king who married Jezebel. Ahab has died. And so there's this com- complex turnover of a new king and there's enemies all around them and there's chaos abounding and nobody knows what's going to happen. Some of the prophets are like, doom is coming. And others are like, you better turn it around. And others are like, there's hope in, G- you know, hope in the Lord. And, and so there's a lot of complex geopolitics going on in this part of the world which it's still going on today. And so there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of trial. There's a lot of question about where is the presence of God? And is God going to show up for the people? And you would expect God to show up and do miraculous works within Israel or within Judah, within God's own people, the, the people that God called out of, out of Egypt and through the, promise, through the wilderness and into the promised land. You would expect God to be showing up over and over just for the people of Israel, God's chosen people. But in this moment, we see the indiscriminate goodness of God, that when this foreign army leader who is in desperation, comes to the prophet, the prophet doesn't even bother going to the door. Just sends the servant and goes, yeah, just tell him to go take a bath in the, in the river seven times. It'll be fine, right? And sure enough, that goodness of God shows up for the army leader of a rival country next door. 
someone who's on the doorstep, a threat to their very existence. And we don't see any sign of, we're going to make an alliance with Israel for the next hundred years, and we're going to be on your side, and we're going to be protecting you, and you protect us, and we're going to become compatriots. We actually see, like three chapters later, the king of Aram is now attacking Israel. So this healing doesn't result in a monumental, earth-shattering changing of the guard, a new alliance. It doesn't do any good except for Naaman. God's goodness shows up where you would not expect it. And I think that's good news. I think God's goodness showing up indiscriminately might drive some of us crazy because I've done all the praying. I've done all the church attending. I've done all the tithing. I I filled out my pledge card. I should expect a good thing, not somebody who never shows up at church. Nope. God's love is indiscriminate. It doesn't matter. The sun shines on all people. God is with all of us. And yes, there's something unique about us gathered here today about us choosing to follow this way, this path, to be on this trajectory of hope and love and justice, but it doesn't mean that God's goodness doesn't abound everywhere. And I think that's good news. It's not a formula. It's not a magic trick. It's not a, if I put this in, I get this out. It's not a vending machine of love. Instead, it's just goodness and love. And that's good news. The second thing I want to point out is that healing is more than physical. That yes, in this story and in multiple stories within the New Testament, we see healings take place of physical things, whether it's blindness or lameness or leprosy. We see Lazarus rise from the dead. That's a pretty physical healing moment. And so yes, healings in the Bible are often physical, yet, but yet there is something dynamic happening within the person. So what we see Naaman doing is we see Naaman thinking that healing and restoration must take place with a big thing. Like I expected him to wave his hand and to call upon the name of the Lord his God and then heal me of this disease. I expected a big show. I expected the lights. I expected all of the different things. I expected the thunder to roar and lightning to come down. I expected something miraculous to happen. He wants me to take a bath in a dirty river. Are you kidding? Like, that doesn't seem to make any sense. And if I, why do I have to do it seven times? Why why seven times in the river? Why not just once? I mean, if this is so miraculous, why can't I just go do it one time? Maybe this is a magic river, right? Maybe that's the thing. But no, there's better rivers over in our own country. Like, why do I have to go to this one? It's because Naaman's pride had to be healed. And even after the fact, Naaman's like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. What can I give you, right? Like, like maybe this was like a the reverse vending machine. Like now that I've gotten this, I got to give this. And instead it's like, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. This is just goodness. Your pride needs to get out of the way. Your pride needs to get out of the way. The other thing we see is a spiritual revival happen within Naaman. We see him recognizing the power and the goodness of the Lord, the God of Israel, the the with us God, the one who is present. And so we see him changing and transforming and recognizing the dynamic love and justice of God and turning towards this God and saying, this God is the God. This God is the one that I am going to follow. There's a moment where Naaman is actually going to say later on to Elisha, going to say, when I go back home, 
The king is not able to kneel down at the altar of the God of Aram. And I need to bow down and help him do that and then help him rise up again because he's physically unable to do it. And I will be therefore bowing down before the altar of this God that I no longer believe in. And Elisha says, the Lord knows your heart. Go and do your duty. Go and do your duty. Go and take care of your king. There is a spiritual revival, a spiritual healing, a spiritual restoration that is going on inside of Naaman in this moment. Third thing is that oftentimes healing, and not in this Second Kings instance as much, but in other instances we read in the New Testament, there is a community restoration that happens in these stories of healing. That there's something that, that allows on, on two levels this restoration. The first level is that oftentimes in the first century Israel, first century Palestine area, when Jesus was walking the earth, you were only allowed to go to the temple if you were clean or considered clean according to the priestly codes and things. And being sick with leprosy or having a deformity or having something wrong with you often meant that you were not allowed, that you were not permitted, that you would be excluded from community, that you would not be able to go and offer the ritual sacrifices for forgiveness of sins. You wouldn't be able to participate in the communal life of the community. And if you were a leper, you had your own colony. You were never even included in regular society. And so when Jesus comes along and offers these healings, it's more than just meeting a physical need. Jesus is making room for the person to enter back into community. And oftentimes when Jesus heals someone, he says, now go and offer the ritual sacrifice as Moses instructed in Sinai at the temple or at the synagogue. And we see people entering back into community. So there's communal restoration happening. But there's also restoration that we see in the community. That when people have these healings, when their story is transformed, when they go through this, this amazing moment, we see sometimes the people of the community come out and they hear about this healing that Jesus did. And they're like, would you go away? Like, this is, this is like, you are, you are something else, man. Like, you are too powerful. Like, you, we don't know what's going to happen next. Like, we've done some bad things. We don't want you to find out about it. So, you know, like, can you go away for a while? And then here's the cool part. We, we always stop reading at that point. But then usually a few chapters later, Jesus returns to that town and he's greeted by the entire community. So what we, can, what we can probably understand is going on is that that person that received the healing, that person whose life was transformed, went back to the community and told their story, went back to the community and talked about what happened and lived it out, lived out that transformation so much that the next time Jesus showed up, the entire community had a transformation happen within them and they were ready to receive the Christ among them. That's good news. So what does it mean for us as the church to be a story of healing? I think it's fine and understandable and beautiful even to pray for something to change in our lives, for something, some if, we have, if we're sick with something, to pray that it goes away, that the next time we go in for an MRI or a doctor's appointment, that they don't see what they saw before. I think that is beautiful and necessary and incredibly important to pray for. 
But I think when we're talking about stories of healing and being a story of healing, we can also look deeper. We can look at the ways in which we are helping shape community and helping people feel connected into community. Like, do people feel like they belong with us? Even if they disagree with us, even if they look different from us, even if they don't vote like us, do they sense that they belong to a place? Do people, when they are with us, when we're around them, do they understand themselves better? Do they look in the mirror and say, you know, I got to let go of this pride or this jealousy or this arrogance, or I got to let go of this way of being in the world that's really unhealthy. And this, this person in my life is just loving on me so much, and they, they've pointed out my blind spot in a loving way, and I'm willing to do that transforming work. I'm willing to do that hard thing. Are we seeing healing with like that? Are we seeing spiritual transformation? I think this is the most important part of it. I was with a group of pastors this past weekend on Thursday night and Friday morning. We were doing this clergy leadership academy where we go away a couple of nights a year and we we get taught different leadership things and we talk amongst each other. And I wrote down this, this question on my notes uh, of, of what are what are my people supposed to tell their neighbors? What are my people supposed to tell their neighbors? And I asked it to my table. And they all stared at me. Because we're a part of this beautiful, dynamic, inclusive, loving thing called the United Methodist Church, the Minnesota Annual Conference, where we are... are trying our best to be an inclusive, affirming community that says all are welcome, that we are reconciling and growing for everyone. But how do we tell people about that? Is there an urgency to telling anyone that? What, what's, the, what's the message? When you, when you see a neighbor and you, you think, I wonder if they go to church, I wonder if they're a part of anything, do we even feel like that's something we want to do? And it's awkward. I'm a pastor, and I feel that question's weird now. When people, I'm sitting by someone on an airplane, and we always do the, oh, what do you do? I go, oh, gosh. Right? I mean, that's my response when someone says, what do you do? I say, oh, no. And they say, whoa, whoa, what do you, what do, you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. And then they go, oh. And I said, see? I mean, it, how do we talk about this? And that's where I think a story of healing needs to take place. Because what this thing is, this thing of church, it's more than just where we come to be motivated to go do good things in the world. And that's incredibly important. It's more than just where we hope to foster a great environment so that our community partners can have a beautiful place to operate and do yoga or preschool or choir rehearsal. And that's incredibly important. It's got to be more than just a place where we have great relationships and we can share about our lives and we can, we can be there for each other through hard times. And that is incredibly important. And you can do that here. And we want that here. We have to be that here. That was what was in the email. That's what's on the stewardship card is all of those things. But it's bigger than that. And if it's not bigger than that, I'm still glad you're here. If it's not bigger than that, I want you to stay coming here. But what we're doing here 
is transformational relationship. We want you to be so moved by the love of Christ, so moved by the cross and the resurrection, so moved by God's outpouring of love, that grace that has always been present, so moved by that love that you can't help but be a new person, that you can't help but die to yourself, take up a cross, and follow Christ. And I know that I just quoted the Bible, and I also scared you, right? Die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. What? I struggle with that all the time. What does that mean in 2023? What is that going to mean in 2024? What is that going to mean when I have grandkids? What does that mean to take up a cross? What does it mean to die to myself? What does it mean to follow in the footsteps of a first century rabbi who died on a Roman cross and was raised from the dead? That is what church is supposed to be. Something otherworldly, something deeper, something bigger, something more than social justice, as important as it is, something more than cultivating a beautiful place for people to gather, which is, which is beautiful, something more than a great social club where we get to know each other, which is important. It's got to be more. And so I hope that as a community, we keep reconciling and growing so that we can be more, that we can be a story of abundance, a story of liberation, a story of healing, and as we'll talk about next week, that we can be a story of grace. Let's pray. God of grace and love, God of healing, as frustrating as it is sometimes to not see the tangible evidence of your presence, as much as we might cry out and beg for and long for things to change the way that we see them changed in the pages of scripture, God, we trust that you are still at work. We trust that your spirit is in us and moving through us and that we can actually become a story of healing. Maybe not in the way that we've seen it in the pages of Scripture, God, but maybe we can see the transformation of community. Maybe we can see the healing of a person's way of existing in the world where they shed some of the things that block them from healthy relationship and so they can move into the dynamic way of shalom. God, may we be a people of healing that allow for spiritual transformation in a way that truly is transformational. God, help us to be that type of people. Help us to be that church. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So towards the back, we had some handouts for you. Um, one of them looked like this. It had the logo that you can see on the screen. It says Renewing for Everyone. And it has some stewardship goals on the back. And then the other one was the pledge card, which has the side where you can write in the pledge, and then you can fold it in half and leave it in the offering plate. Um, some of you that are on our email list, our Tuesday, our Tuesday news, which often comes out on Wednesday or Thursday, um, you likely uh, got an email, if you're on our email list, that had a lot of information about our stewardship campaign. This is our way of trying to get a better understanding of what people are planning to give or intending to give in the year 2024 so that we can set a budget 
that's as accurate as possible. Um, and what you see in front of you, or what you have in front of you, the stewardship goals for 2024, this is not the set in stone firm budget as has been voted on by the congregation and the membership. This is what we have asked different committees and different groups about what they think they will need for 2024. So if you, we talk to hospitality, what do you think you'll need for 2024 in order to do the hospitality well. The care team is a new uh, line item in the budget because we're trying to do different things to care well for people that are grieving, to care well for people that are sick, to care well for people that are just in times of need or prayer, and we need a budget for that. Um, we talked to the trustees. We we looked at what is the insurance company charging us for insurance. We looked at a lot of different things, and these are all of the ways in which we saw things heading, and this is kind of the goal budget. This is the hope for budget. Um, we will revise as needed, but the goal is to meet this expectation, to meet this hope, so that we can move forward in confidence in 2024 with all the plans and hopes that we have and that we're prayerfully considering. Um, and so if you have an opportunity to fill out this card and turn it in um, sometime in the next few weeks would be great. The sooner the better. Um, or you can fill out the one that was sent out online. There is a, a link in the email that was sent out. And all you have to do is click on that link and fill out the form online, hit submit at the end, and that will be all we need in order to um, talk and connect with the finance team about how we can plan for 2024. So some of the things that we highlighted in the email that we've highlighted uh, in a few services is that your giving, your, your stewarding of the gifts that God has given you has allowed us to increase the number of hours for the youth and family ministries person, for Katie. Um, and so Katie's with us 20 hours a week instead of the eight we used to have designated for that. We have Doug as our new worship leader and providing a, kind of a, some life into that ministry. We've got new carpet. We've got a new parking lot. We've got some new paint around the building. We've had a lot of new things. New doors have gone in. So um, the capital campaign that we were doing doing last year. We've done a lot of things with that. Um, one thing that we have yet to finish and we're going to be working on this spring is a brand new sign. Um, Kita has been incredibly diligent in leading the charge with North Oaks. We've gone, she's gone to multiple city council meetings. They've changed their ordinances to allow for a digital sign to go out on, on this avenue. And so when we're ready and when we've raised the funds, we will be able to put a new sign up um, and we'll be in compliance uh, with the city of North Oaks. And so that's been uh, an exciting event that Kita and others have been on. Um, we've got a healthy emergency fund, thanks to the giving that you've all done. Uh, we, we're, we're prepared for hard times. Um, and we, don't, we don't hope to use that. Um, instead, we hope to keep investing that into ways of, of making our, our savings work for us. Um, but we're, we're, uh, we, got, we had an emergency fund. And so that's been a real blessing to, to know going into the future, especially when the future is so chaotic and unknown at times. And then finally, we're in the process of updating our website. And we were able to hire someone to do that. And it's been a, a great endeavor to see the website transforming and being updated and working on that. And so uh, I just want to say thank you again. I, I know I said thank you last week, but thank you for all the ways that you've given to this community to see it flourish. We've we paid our apportionments, the, the agreed upon rate for the whole year, this year. 
we're keeping up with it, which is the first time that that's happened here at Peace in a while. And so thank you for that. Um, I know that being connected to the annual conference of Minnesota is an important thing for our community. We've got great support from them in a lot of ways. And so for us to participate in what they're doing is really, really important. So thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you've given. And we're excited about the, the momentum going forward. And so, um, so please, if you get a chance, turn in that stewardship card, fill out the form online so that we can have a, uh, a, a healthy understanding of what next year can look like as we dream about, um, about what God is up to with us here in this community. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.